some reports say they threw bricks. Other mm-hmm. people say stones. You're having public discourse over, I'm sorry, we can't vote for you. You agree with gay rights. Yeah, in 2020. There, there is a lot of work to do still. People started getting so angry. They've been, they've been pushed so far uh, that, that they fought back. And it created a true riot, a true revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Social Discord, Episode 8, Queer as History, Part 2. I'm your host, Dalen Turk. I'm Kara Tebow. And I'm Curtis Medina. Now, in the last episode, we covered topics basically starting in kind of the late 1800s, everything that led up to what was or what became Stonewall. But before we get into Stonewall, because that's what's coming up next, let's dive into some of the organizations that predated Stonewall that kind of really helped create the movement that has been building up over the 60s, starting with, in 1953, however you pronounce this, the Mattachine Society? Yeah. That sounds right. Mattachine is a good guess. Um, which you, um, I, this is the one that I talked earlier. It was uh, um, Henry Harry Hay, um, who um, was one of the um, early starters of the gay rights movement and was also part of the Communist Party, or tried to be at least. Yeah, and, and, and they started basically in 1953, they started the first uh, widely distributed, openly gay like magazine or periodical called One Magazine. And uh, and it was it caused a huge stir because the USPS was as we already talked about in in the business of um, of of stopping what they thought was obscene things going through the mail and they 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 stopped the this uh, magazine from going forward and it actually uh, created a Supreme Court case that that um, that the homosexuals basically won. Wait, that's, um, that's so insanely unconstitutional. Like to just yeah. stop someone's publication because you don't like it because you're nosy and boring. Yeah, I mean, and th- I mean, I agree, and and I mean, thankfully, you know, as as backwards as we often think of people, you know, of of and, and at least in this regard, you know, back then, the the Supreme Court actually did uphold that there was that there was nothing, um, like obscene about just being gay, and that was kind of huge uh, for that time. Um, because, you know, because, because it kind of, le- for the first time sort of legitimized, um, how somebody could, you know, could be gay and sort of like be considered normal, you know, it didn't mm-hmm. necessarily give like free reign to anything or any acts or whatever. They were still being persecuted for that. But, but the act of just being gay and talking about it was, was deemed, yeah, that is protected uh, under the constitution. You know, it's, it's unfortunate, like I said too, with, um, and I, I don't mean to, you know, pry on the fact that he was trying to be a part of the Communist Party. Um, but, you know, with McCarthy already pushing that association of homosexuality with the Communist Party, I wonder what damage it really did in the public's perception of homosexuality with, you know, actually having a leader who was a part of the Communist Party. Um, like I said, ultimately, he was kicked out of his own organization because of his views um, but I'm, I'm, I, I guess I could read more into it, but I'm very curious as to what, um, that really did to the public perception of that group. Yeah. I mean, it was all bad. I think the other, person <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> quite it's honestly, great. it's a good summary. It was all bad. <laughs> the other, the other person that was, uh, I forget his name, but was, who was like the co-founder of the one magazine that t- ended up taking it over, I believe, mm-hmm. um, or, or at least, oh, or excuse me, of the Mattachetti organization. I'm not sure if it was the one magazine went with it, but who ended up taking over the Mattachetti, um, organization or whatever, like, like basically, 
you know, was saying like, you know, yeah, I believe in the, you know, like letting gay people like congregate idea, but I don't necessarily believe in all these other political things. And, and that's why they forced them out. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think they perceived right away that that was going to be, um, an argument they didn't want to, they didn't want to include. Um, which I guess, um, compared to the, the next group that we're about to go over, they, um, uh, the, oh goodness, what are the, it's the, the, I don't know how to say it. Um, daughters. It's so no, I was going to say the, the Mattachine society was more focused on the social aspect of the queer community rather than political. And then Mm -hmm. as we're going into the, the daughters of Belitis, um, they were more focused on the political side of the queer community rather than the social. Mm -hmm. Well, and it actually started as a social group, but, but pretty quick with just eight members and pretty quickly it actually started focusing on lesbian rights. And, you know, and that's really important to mention because a lot of times, you know, you, you know, you, you, you only hear about the men and, and they, they made a lot of the big headlines or whatever, but, um, but, but women were, were just as oppressed, if not more, um, for, for who they loved. And so this was an organization that fought for them. And one of the reasons actually for, for that was, was I, I think it was in in the UK I read that during this time it was they had sodomy laws so it was illegal for men to have sex with men but actually was not illegal for women to have sex with women bec- and they said that they didn't make a law against it because they couldn't imagine it is how they put it <laughs> <laughs> like and so and so 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 they were still shamed as bad if not worse they it's, still had all of the same things but but in at least in the UK they were not necessarily as scrutinized right. legally or at least not at not caught as often it's interesting um, too because you know especially within u.s law um you know at this time the term sodomy was so broadened to basically cover like all of the actions of the queer community that people pressing them just didn't like <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and it went, and it went direct. I mean, the word sodomy is from the Bible, you know I mean? So like, so, you know, it went back to all these, these ideas that, that they thought that was, you know, so like, so wrong or whatever. And so they wouldn't even consider like how that could be part of a, of a healthy sexual relationship. And so now we get to Stonewall. Um, you know, if you notice, I I mean, I, if you're if you're a gay person listening to this, like I hope you super appreciate that that it took us all this time to get to Stonewall because most of the time this is where people start and and if you're a gay person, you probably have heard of Stonewall. You probably didn't hear any of the other stuff before this, um, and so the fact that we're you know getting this now, like like is, you know, it hopefully give you a lot of like background. Stonewall basically was um, a riot that was that actually sparked the Pride celebrations. Uh, it's the reason that Pride happens in June, which is something mm-hmm. I just learned uh, not too long ago. So, I thought it was a random month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just yeah. oh, let's pick June. Yeah, June seems nice. <laughs> like I even I, like June is my busy month that I work, and uh, and 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 uh, I have a, a a friend of mine that helps me who's also gay, and uh, and a lot of times uh, they they don't want to uh, uh, be at work for like about a week because of Pride parades, and so I, you know I always let them off or whatever so they can do that, um, but. I remember one time saying, why can't they just do pride and like, you know, a different month every, you know, in every city or whatever, <laughs> like in December, you know, November, January, who wants, you know, let's just do it in January, you know, be, we're not in the busiest time of year or whatever. And I was just so ignorant because I didn't understand that there was actual meaning of why most pride celebrations are done in, in June. 
uh, June 28th, 1969, the mm. Stonewall Inn, which actually wasn't a hotel. It just was called Stonewall Inn for some reason. Um, was it this really seedy gay bar in, in New York City's Greenwich Village? Yeah. Uh, it was raided by police uh, several times, actually. But this was, I think, the second time in like a week or something that it had been raided. Um, and, and it caused a riot that nearly 400 people joined in on and resumed on on uh, succeeding nights and it basically inspired the idea of fighting back and being prideful um over your sexuality or or or, or being of the queer community i would um, like to point out too um because there are so many especially with stonewall there are so many myths no one you know who threw the first brick you know who who did this who did that there's so many different ideas of how this happens and a part of that is that, you know, Stonewall, the Stonewall Inn is this kind of extravagant, you know, really nice bar that they, you know, they accepted as their home and they hang out at. But like you said, it was this kind of really seedy place. And like so many uh, gay bars in New York, it was run either, I mean, through the mafia by their ownership or just by their control. Yeah, I mean, the mafia, you know, they, they saw this as an as a as a as a way of making some really good, easy money, um, mm-hmm. you know, just like when, when you, uh, banned, uh, you know, alcohol and pro during prohibition, um, they saw this as a way to, to make money off of something that was illegal. And, and in, in a lot of cases, you know, they probably were, they probably were sort of indifferent or maybe even against, uh, homosexuality themselves, but they saw it as a purely capitalistic, you know, endeavor to, to basically give protection to these, these these bars and they actually would would even bribe local police officers to look the other way and just let these people like congregate in 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 gay bars um the the stonewall itself actually was operating without a liquor license Mm -hmm. um, which is which was the main reason was that was given uh for 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 raiding it but actually the the bigger reason was because the police wanted to crack down on on um, the mob and and so so like you know so i think there's a narrative that you know police were just homeless were, were, were just homophobic um you know but that necessarily that wasn't necessarily true they are they they may have been but they but they also were were legitimately trying to shut down something they saw to be a very uh dangerous way of funding um other illegal activity with the mob mm-hmm. and honestly you know with these gay bars as a quote unquote, you know, safe place for the queer community, they participated in that, you know, in the face of laws of, you know, where people were being arrested for indecency for literally just showing too much affection to someone of the same sex or dressing in, you know, non heteronormative ways. And it was like these safe places were kind of an excuse for cops to go in and be like, Hey, let's make these arrests. Yeah, I mean, and and they could do it whenever they wanted. It was was kind of the sad part, you know. It's like there were a lot of cops that were on the payroll of the mob that would look the other way, and so you kind of felt safe. But you also knew that, like, at any moment, the cops would come in and be like, you know, just kidding, you're actually arrested. You know, it's just like that scene in Casablanca or whatever, where they, you know, they say, you know, I'm shocked to see this is a, uh, you know, this is a casino, and this is the guy that's been being paid off that he absolutely knows is a casino. You know, it's like. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just like that, you know, it's, it's these, this real double standard of, of like kind of trying to deal with it, but at the same time, officially not being able to say that, that it's okay. And one of the really interesting little tidbits that I think 
get lost in a lot of the stories that I actually read in one of the, the books I, I read to research this um, was was that uh, the, they didn't have a liquor license on purpose because they didn't want to be able to be shut down as a bar. Um, and so instead of doing that, um, they actually made themselves a club, a members-only club um, that just happened to serve liquor. <laughs> and uh, and the club had like a entry fee that you'd have to pay um, that just happened to be probably about the you know amount of money you pay to to buy a drink, um, and uh, and so they so they actually got around a lot of these laws that would have prevented them from even opening to begin with um, because they were a club and and they weren't necessarily um, you know able to be restricted like they would be of, of a bar for for being indecent. But still, the police when they wanted to they would take um, you know uh, this as a reason to to say oh no you're not an, actually a bar. Um, and therefore we can shut you down and we can arrest all your people and all this stuff. Story goes, nine policemen entered Stonewall Inn. They arrested the employees for selling alcohol without a license. They roughed up the, pa- the, the patrons, which was totally normal uh, back then and probably still now. Uh, you know, uh, they, they cleared the bar um, and they kind of just sent a lot of people on their way. But they actually happened to, um, they, they happened to sort of pick on... Uh, some people who were not wearing uh, gender-appropriate clothing mm-hmm. is how they put it. Yep. In um, New York, it was a crime to quote unquote, you know, masquerade as a member of the opposite sex. Based on which marketing campaign? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's absolutely so ultimately, they were targeting drag queens and cross-dressing patrons who were in the bar at the time, along with the employees. It, I, I will say, too, it blows my mind in a place like America, which, you know, we have the Constitution, which is supposed to protect our free speech, you know, this and that, that it was a crime until very recently. Our parents, some of our parents were born at this time to wear certain clothing in America where we're supposed to be very free. That's That's insane. Like, mm-hmm. that is insane to me. You know, it's, it's, it, it's shameful. It's very embarrassing. It's a, such a stain on our history. It really is. And it's the same, like I said, looking at the American frontier, they they fit women dressing as men into the narrative. They made it fit into the narrative of the American frontier. But the narrative of men cross-dressing as women was just completely pushed on the edges and just tried to get it out of the narrative as much as possible. And so you get situations like these where it was just so, so scrutinized and so looked down upon that it was literally made illegal. And I don't know what, I don't know if there was an equal amount of scrutiny that women cross-dressing as men came under at this time as the same as men cross-dressing as women. Was there? there Yeah, you couldn't wear pants, right? Yeah, there. I mean, there. You know, I'm not sure if it's exactly like this year. I think it was actually a little earlier. I think by yeah. this point, women wearing pants was a little more accepted. But, right. but you know, say like the 30s, 40s. You know, women were beat up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for, for wearing pants, they were they were uh, looked down upon. They were, you know, people would would uh, you know they would jeer them. They would call them men. You know, they they would call them by masculine names and things like that. I mean, it was it was awful. It was it was Even, it was absolutely bully tactics. You look at the year um, during World War II where you know women took over baseball, um, and you look at the movie A League of Their Own, and their uniforms had skirts. <laughs> it, right. it makes you wonder what in you know 50, 60 years we're going to look back on and be absolutely mortified that we're like how, how, how did we do that so hey be on the right side of history okay because this is insane <laughs> i mean <laughs> sorry, you look sorry. At i just it, had to point out how insane that is to even me. in modern right, times right. you look at um and even at the time there was the you know the burn the bra movement and now you have the you know free the nipple movement happening right now 
and it like everyone's got nipples. Who cares? Just mind your damn business. Like I don't understand. <laughs> Let people do what they want to do. It's well, it sounds so exhausting to be so bothered standard. by what other people are doing. I know it's God. like how exhausting does it have to be to be constantly just bothered and concerned by what everybody like, wears? I want that I free time so bad. I would say you have too much time in your. Yeah, hands. that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like yeah. I, I am so jealous business. about how much free that they cared about someone's sex life. Like I need that free time. Like I need that vacation time. But whatever. <laughs> you, but you'll spend it more wisely. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to the uh, the pervert bar or whatever they called it. Like this sounds way more. Fun, oh yeah, the so. the sexual psychopath. <laughs> oh yeah, or whatever. I'm oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where my free time is going. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Curtis. So continue. No worries. Please. No, it's like, uh, 1969 June yep. and and uh, accounts vary really wildly about about who did this. Um, but uh, but one of the, some people, a lot of people believe that uh, it was a woman that was a lesbian activist. It was definitely a woman or I should say this differently. It was definitely somebody who was feminine, but dressed masculine, I think is probably the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to be talking about um, this idea of gender and trans in the next episode. Um, definitely somebody like that. Um, somebody possibly named uh, Stormy D. La, La, Larv, how do you say that? Lavery. They they yell, and this is not on your notes. So I I wanted to make sure oh, I mentioned it. Stormé de Stormé de la Yeah, <laughs> they, they were supposed French, to have so. yelled, "Quote, why don't you do something?" When they as they were being jostled, pushed into the uh, the paddy wagon, which is what they called them back then, which was basically just a, a moving jail on a in in a car, um, and uh, they said, "Why don't you do something?" And apparently, people did something. They you know people started getting really angry. Uh, they they started throwing bottles. Um, some reports say they threw bricks. Other mm -hmm. people say stones. They were calling uh, the police things like coppers and throwing copper pennies at them. Mm -hmm. And essentially, like why this was significant, like even if you're if, if if you take away all of the queer aspect of this, was was this was sort of the first like major riot that happened in America that police kind of lost. Like, you know, they mm -hmm. like like it wasn't like today where like, you know, you know, the police just overwhelmed the crowd or whatever. These were nine police people that were that were used to very, you know, timid reactions. Oh to, yeah, very passive. To, to when they arrested these people, you know, like very innocent reactions that and and here, you know, they were people started getting so angry. They've been they had been pushed so far and that that they fought back and it created a true riot a true revolution it's why it's a huge moment in in gay history um and the, one of the funny things is is uh, the police were so overwhelmed they actually barricaded themselves yeah. in the bar because they weren't prepared <laughs> uh, for it yeah not at all and, and uh and so they were trapped in a bar with all with you know hundreds of people outside uh, you know, yelling, trying, you know, trying to get in all these different things. Uh, there was a, there was a report, there was a reporter from uh, the, the local neighborhood um, like newspaper called the village voice that actually went in there with them. And the reporter said that, that they actually uh, were for the protest, but they wanted to be on like on the inside or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so they, so, so they wrote a story later on that was from sort of the perspective of being stuck inside there. Um, and, uh, and so they called for backup, and backup did eventually come. But this this is sort of a rumor aspect of it that I heard in this book um, that you know the uh, it took a while for the for the backup to come because these 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 uh, police had not told the local jurisdiction 
of this raid because they were worried that somebody was on the payroll and would warn them. Yeah, they're and, trying to uh, stop a leak. Or yeah. avoid a leak. Well, that's what you yeah. get for being jerks. Yeah, and... <laughs> And so nobody came to help them for the longest time. It actually enabled the crowd to to get to a size that was out of control. Eventually, they did break it up, and or people at least people sort of you know left or whatever. But um, but but the, but it was it was it was sort of it was so embarrassing that these people that you know you consider to be like lesser than you or sissies or mm-hmm. you know whatever um, you know were were able to stand up to the police and. And and uh, and the very next day, they actually reopened the bar, um, even though they actually weren't able to serve liquor because they had broken all their their liquor bottles when they the police raided it. Um, they weren't able to serve liquor, but they actually reopened it the next night, and more protests happened and continued for the next few days. And the and the the newspaper, the Village Voice, that reported on it, that reporter that was inside, uh, they 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 were one of the only newspapers to actually write about this event. Unfortunately, they used some terrible language that that was sort of making fun of it, mm-hmm. um, not really treating it seriously. Um, very offensive things, um, including oh, big, quote. At the, the time, forces. there were so many people that didn't take the movement seriously because they didn't. At all. They didn't take these people's feelings seriously. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they, they use terms like the forces of faggotry to describe oh. the protesters. Uh, you know, they 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 uh, other newspapers uh, use you know words like homo nest raided, queen bees are stinging mad. You know, like all these things, and like and this got the people so much even more angry that they were either being ignored or or they're being made fun of that that they actually that this actually spawned a second like riot outside of the village voices uh location in new york um that that uh where people were thinking about burning the building down they didn't but they but they were threatening to and so i mean it just it just shows you exactly how mad they were this news though of 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 standing up to the police actually spread across the land through word of mouth mostly and it actually inspired other people to to do protests and riots in a few other cities. And it even inspired um, the first gay pride parade mm-hmm. in 1970, um, which was the, the first, uh, it was June 28th, 1970 was the first anniversary of that raid. Um, and several cities um, actually took part in this, or like, I guess they should, I should say the city didn't necessarily like it, but they did it in many cities. Um, and, and the thing that like, choked me up when i was reading about it was it said that that uh the one in new york um that several people began marching up on sixth avenue towards central park and supporters that were watching the parade from the sidelines not all of which were actually necessarily gay um joined the procession and it eventually stretched 15 city blocks encompassing thousands of people that were fed up with this you know it's interesting and i think one thing that really one reason why Stonewall was so separated from the previous events that we were discussing is that, and I don't want to say those were isolated incidents because they weren't, they were part of a bigger picture, but they were, they were separated within themselves. And what Stonewall did really, you know, I mean, it's, it brought the movement to, you know, just like nationwide attention and it created this, you know, movement that's still going strong today. And like literally in 2019, 
the man who led the raid at Stonewall. Um, he was the police commissioner in New York, uh, James O'Neill. Um, you know, 50 years later, he stood up and he apologized and he, you know, agreed that the actions they took at that time, then the discrimination, the discrimination and the laws that they were enforcing was not right. And that it was oppressive and he apologized for it. Um, and so that's the lasting effect that Stonewall and these, you know, many other instances have had up until today, even. Yeah, I mean, if the police officer that led that, you know, can 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 have that big of a change, um, you know, in his lifetime, I think that's a really great sign that a lot of people who, you know, maybe started their lives being super homophobic or at least not understanding what it was can actually change over time. And and that's it's it's really moving that, you know, that he would give that um, that apology Granted, because a lot of people years. would have. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think it was just when that's when he officially said it. But, you know, but I think there was a lot of doubt even when it happened. Right. About about like, oh, wow, like this is creating a big thing. You know, maybe this wasn't just about us roughing up a couple of people. Maybe this was a bigger deal. Maybe this is a systematic problem. You know, and, and, and one thing that I wanted to point out, and I'm not sure if this is controversial or not, based on based on the data um, one of the the sectors of, of population um, that is usually most against um, homosexuals, just I mean, you name it, marriage and all kinds of different things, just even you know, just being around, um, is usually the African American population. Mm-hmm. Um, by percentage, they are the they are the most against the laws that protect gay people. They're they're most, and usually it's because of religious beliefs. Um, that um, black people tend to be one of the most religious sectors of of the American population today. Um, I've I've personally been in a a, a black church that actually was con- was talking about converting someone who had just come out of the closet wow, and to that's... convince them that Yikes. it was wrong. And they were and, and it was really scary because they were actually going to surprise this person. The person oh, wasn't no. there. Oh, they were God. talking about oh, at awful. a future meeting doing this and surprising them and sort of like having a. Um, what's the word? Which I'm sure they um, see, they see as mercy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. they, right, right. They, which is why it's it's such a heartbreaking topic to talk yeah. about. So it's not to say that all black people are are against gay people. I'm not trying to say that at all. And thankfully, over the last um, you know couple of decades, it's really changing um, pretty quickly. Especially when like uh, I think Obama um, mm-hmm. um, sp- spoke about gay rights quite a bit, and that really made a big difference for the black community. So I'm not trying yeah, to there say was- they all are, but. There was an article, and I can't remember what it was, but um, you know, surveys were taken after and I guess during the Obama administration. I don't know what the percentage was, but you know, acceptance and approval of you know gay rights in the black community had risen to fifty nine percent. Yeah, um, it was a huge shift. And in the and I can't remember what the number was for the Latin community. I know it was the highest. Um, I think it was. I think it was like sixty percent, something like that. But then the mm-hmm. in the white community. Um, approval was at 50% still. Mm-hmm. Well, and what what made this come to mind is that, you know, like if you're a black person listening to this, um, you know, one of the things I think it would be really great if you took away from this this history is that this, the, 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 the queer um, riots and the revolution and gay rights could not have happened were they, were, if, if they had not been inspired by the civil rights movement that protected african-americans equality you know i mean and and by the same token it also could not have happened if the um if if women hadn't fought for their rights as well 
um, with the feminist movements. You know, so I mean, so it was, it, so it's, it's, it, it's strange to me that that somebody who's black could, you know, be so um, for civil rights and against gay rights as if it's something different. You know, because it was so inspired, it could not have happened without it. And like, it's all connected. And so like, I just, I really hope that like, that makes a difference in somebody's life because I didn't really realize that until I started um, researching it. I have several um, black friends who are gay and the hardest thing for them is definitely, it's very cultural. Um, There's a lot Mm -hmm. of pride in your heritage and masculinity. um, And that was very difficult for them to navigate. So it is, it's it's very rooted in the pride of a lot of um, different cultures um, and the masculinity and things like that. And it's hard to stray away from. Um, But yeah, like I said, I I think, and I hope that's getting better because that was a a huge struggle for my friends, you know, to to be seen as not manly anymore in their churches or their culture. Um, But I think fortunately that's shifting a lot, but it is we have to remember, you know, where people are coming from. And if you're taught that growing up, then chances are you're going to, you know, believe that for quite a bit as well. So um, I was talking to somebody about about the Democratic Party in South Carolina. South Carolina is one of the reddest states in the country. Um, mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time there. So that's 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 why it's on my mind. And uh, I was talking to he he's in the Democratic Party and basically and, and he's gay and and I and basically was saying that he was so disappointed because because it the Democrats in South Carolina didn't think that they could win if they ran somebody who even spoke positively about gay movements like they basically just had to avoid the subject wow. or or be and, and this has happened in several cases of people of Democrats that mostly have lost or completely be against it like like i mean actually say religiously they don't think it's it's right or whatever and they always kind of you know tiptoe around the terms not to not to piss off like too many of the uh the democrats or whatever but but essentially they're not fighting for it or they're even talking against it and that is is what goes for democratic leadership in south carolina um and particularly with with black candidates it, they feel like if they if they say they're okay with gay people that it somehow is going to uh, take away their religious um, voters, and it might they might be right. Um, you know, most of the uh, it, it's it, it is a little bit of a of a losing statement to to fight for that mm-hmm. for the for the gay minority. Um, and it, but it's really sad at the same time. You know, there has to be a way to 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 represent everyone equally. But, you know, I- it's important to for I think like when Dalen and I we live in Austin mm-hmm. and where it's very insulated and it's easy to think that the whole world's a nice liberal paradise where you know gay people are seemingly at least on the surface accepted and things like that and it's a good reminder to especially if you if you want to be a good ally or you know if you have the privilege of being gay and living in a, an area that accepts that um, that's just not the case around the whole country like you just said Curtis like this is still like you're having public discourse over I'm sorry we can't vote for you you agree with gay rights. Yeah, in 2020. Yeah, it, the, absolutely. The, uh, there, there is a lot of work to do still. We cannot forget that because there's still people in places like South Carolina who are relying on the rest of us to help and to continue that work that needs to happen. And I want to touch back real quick on the combination of the gay rights movement and the civil rights movement. And um, really, the queer community has been entrenched with the black community for so long now. And it's as much as we say that, you know, it, it's not very accepted in the black community. It's something that, you know, has been a part of it. And, you know, looking back at the 1920s at the Harlem Renaissance, um, it was this huge just explosion of art and culture and expression in the black community that 
queer people in the black community could finally express themselves and be, be who they were. And part of that was because, you know, there was this, you know, common understanding of, you know, oppression that they were all under. Um, but even then you look at men like Bayard Rustin, who is openly gay, and he's the one who, um, along with Martin Luther King and A. Philip Randolph, um, really constructed the March on Washington. Um, and so I don't think people really get a grasp of how entrenched these two movements were um, just because, you know, the civil rights, obviously, you know, it's kind of the, I mean, it is the biggest, you know, movement against oppression that the country's ever seen. Um, and it kind of gets overshadowed, but, you know, I don't think people really see how involved and how entrenched these two movements truly were at the time and still are. Especially if, if you're, if you're, African American and queer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. There is um, I mean the statistics are overwhelming in terms of violence specifically against black trans women. Um mm-hmm. they are overwhelmingly targeted and um and hunted. I mean yeah, again, it's 2020 and yet there's still a lot of work to do especially for um minority people to be able to be openly gay. I feel like that's a scary word, and I'm sure it is scary, but what exactly do you mean by in modern-day terms where they're hunted? Well, I think – I feel like – I mean, to use President Trump's favorite word, it's a witch hunt. But I mean people – I can go about my life for the most part as a straight white female and, you know, whatever. People are, can be dicks to me, but people don't hate me because I'm trans. I, you know, they don't hate me because I'm black. I'm not right. – I'm not – terrified to go to i mean I'm, I'm a woman so it's a little scary sometimes but jesus christ if if i'm a black trans woman i have to be worried about being beaten up on the street because people I, I hate me out, basically yeah and yeah. and so that's what i, I may be hunted as a little aggressive but it probably feels that way to somebody who's just trying to enjoy their time in a bar and they're being beaten up because they just make someone uncomfortable because they're different than them that's it's it's horrible it's interesting because yep. on the other side of that um and, you know, I, there are times where I feel it as a, like, a stereotype, like, and I'd say this and you guys laughed at me the other day. I was just call about to say, be careful, Dalen. Um, you know, how I'm this, <laughs> I like, I'm kind of the stereotypical straight white man. You know, I'm this tall, big, you know, white dude. Um, but there's also kind of a, like, a guilt that comes with it where I'm like, I like, I feel guilty that I can just live my life and basically do whatever I want. And there are people who you know, out of things that they have no control over, have their lives under constant fear and scrutiny and just, you know, oppression. And that's why we need straight white men who are very protected to help and to speak up, you know, and to do things like hopefully educate and help and be an ally and to to go where they're they're needed because they're pretty protected. And the the reason that I laughed last time you said that, Dalen, was you said you said you were you were boring. <laughs> you said you were straight, you boring, straight white man. And I said, don't call yourself boring. Like, like I mean, you're interesting. Like, like it, you know, just because you're not of this like community or whatever doesn't yeah. make you boring. It's fine. You know, you're straight, cool. You know, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> but like, I didn't, no. I didn't want to like you know self deprecate that. You know, no, that, and, for sure. <laughs> And and you know, the, I'll, you know I mean I, I've been I can't I'm 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 not a, I'm not a, of color um, I mean I'm Spanish but I'm not really I'm not black and I'm not a, a trans person but I have hung out with some people who are and and uh, you know I, I I got 
the feeling that they get when they're walking down the street in full, you know, it's in this case, uh, they, they were a drag queen, but like in full drag and down the most dangerous part of San Francisco, like I was walking with them and, and I got that feeling, but the other takeaway I, I, I caught that day, and this is actually before I, I knew I was gay, uh, was, was I have never felt safer in my life as when I was walking next to a, a, a trans drag woman that was six and a half feet tall with, with their, you know, spiky heels and like, and like, you know, and like tough muscly attitude, you know, like, you know, like I have never felt more safe <laughs> because they, cause they knew that they were being, tar- that they would be looked at differently. Mm-hmm. They, could be, they, they could be targeted and, and they, they decided to, instead of, instead of being fearful that they would walk proudly, they would walk, you know, with a strength and they would, and, and, and I really believe that had somebody like, you know, said something, some kind of slur or something like that high heel would have went through their eye, you know, like, I mean, I have no doubt in the world that like messing with this person would have been a major mistake on anyone's part, you know? Mm So I mean, even at the time I didn't know I was gay, but I still respected that so much. Yeah. That's, that is such an incredible like form of strength to do that. Um, Yeah. Major props. Speaking of, this is going to be a great segue. Speaking of forms of strength, we're going to move on to talking about the, symbolic flag that is the rainbow flag nice and segue. how it nice came segue. to be. Um, so in 1978, uh, there was a San Francisco artist named Gilbert Baker who was openly gay and a drag queen as well. And it uh, at the time, I don't think it was known really, but it was revealed later on that he was actually um, urged by Harvey Milk, who was the first openly gay elected official in the U.S. I believe he was elected to the uh, the... San Francisco City Council, right? I think it was the first. You know, I'm not actually. I'm not sure if he was the first, but it, it was. Mm-hmm. It was one of the highest jobs that had right. ever been to an op- openly gay person. Um, but but yeah. up until this point, you know, we we had this movement going, and we, you know, we had all these protests and these rights, but there there really wasn't something that stood for the movement. You know, there there wasn't this symbol, and um, Baker. Um, was I'm trying to read here. Um, so Baker chose, and they were trying to decide what to have as a symbol for the gay rights movement, and he ultimately chose a flag because, um, as Baker um, is quoted in saying, a flag that he saw is the most powerful sim- symbol of pride for countries, for you know cities, for organizations. The flag is an exact powerful symbol of what they take pride in, in their movement and, you know, what they're fighting for. Um, and he chose, um, the rainbow flag because just as, you know, guys like Alfred Kinsey, you know, really stressed in sexuality and gender that it's so intensely diverse, just like, you know, everyone has their different personality. There's so many different aspects of gender and sexuality that it's just this, such a diverse thing. And so he chose, the rainbow colors to represent the diversity that's within the movement. And it's, and also it also was a representation of like the, the prisms basically like a prism where like, you know, if you shine one light through a prism, you see all the different colors that make that up. And it also happens to be why a a rainbow forms naturally, Um, you know, in, in that, that uh, a rainbow is not complete without all of its different colors and all, you know, all of these different like shades basically. And so, you know, so it was, it was, it was meant to basically be, you know, 
kind of say like like this encompasses everyone and so mm-hmm. like initially they even wanted to you know like certain colors meant certain um, right. certain types of people that is i think that's sort of kind of dying out in my opinion um even then because that in itself there's so many different types of people I now i was gonna say and that in itself is like in like imply and i guess it's not but it's maybe not directly but it's implying exclusivity like this color means this thing but when you look at the exactly. gray, it represents this entire spectrum like you said the light spectrum when there's you know how many trillions of colors on the light spectrum that we just can't see you know there's right. so many different you know s- you know strands of sexuality and gender that you know you can't just compact it to these you know simple things and what a beautiful metaphor it is you oh know? yeah I mean, it, absolutely it really holds up over time i mean i mean it's one of those you know this, the best things are always the simplest ideas you know that you know and so like you know you wouldn't necessarily think that a stripe of you know is it, uh, how many different colors one two three i four, believe five, it was six colors it started out as eight and then they um uh they had a printing like, error or something yeah, like it was one it, of those like they, history type like like just like random like, like six <laughs> yeah <laughs> like just like one of those like drunk history random type of like oh, yeah. you know things that just ha- you know happen that change your life because you know somebody ran out of a certain color or something you know? <laughs> <laughs> we ran out of the, in, the indigo thread like. yeah <laughs> But yeah, it was just like that, where basically they had to reduce it to it or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. So, so, so it kind of became a symbol versus not maybe not the literal like there is the, there are these many types of people or whatever. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's been such a long lasting you know symbol of 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 peace and everything. You know, I was I was recently in Laramie, Wyoming, um, and, and yeah, and and if you don't know it, that is Laramie, Wyoming is actually known for one of the worst, um, um, you know, crimes against a gay person that um, sparked like a whole. Um, uh, you know, outrage. Um, uh, uh, for, uh, Matthew, I think it's Matthew Shepard, um, was a 21 year old uh, college kid that um, uh, was was uh, at least initial reports said that he was um, killed or, or tied to a post, beaten, and eventually died because he he was gay and he came on to these two uh, other guys who were, were t- intending to rob him, I believe. Um, and so there's a little bit of like. You know, they kind of went back and forth a little bit about whether or not it was because he was gay, but he was gay, mm-hmm. and and they picked on him, and and anyway. But the reason I mentioned Laramie though is is it was it was really cool though because it was it, I happened to be there in June, and there were so many gay flags flying mm-hmm. um, in downtown Laramie, Wyoming, which is the last place I was expecting to see, you know, that kind of support. Um, and it just, I don't know, and and you know, maybe especially because they're they're somewhat known for for having this terrible, um, mm-hmm. you know, thing that happened in history. It was just so nice to see that. Do y'all remember um, some of your first instances of seeing the rainbow flag? Well, I'm from Portland, yeah. Oregon, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Port, yeah. <laughs> My story is no more interesting. I, it was it was the first the first tr- uh, like high school trip I made with friends. I was probably about eighteen, and we went to San Francisco. So I mean, you know, mm-hmm. duh, yeah. <laughs> it was there. Yeah, it was. I don't think I really, and maybe it was just me not paying attention. Um, but you know, as Missoula, Montana, still being a, a relatively secluded place, even though it is mm-hmm. you know the liberal college town of Montana, you know, I don't think I really saw rainbow flags until like the second term of Obama's presidency. Wow. I, and it is, it's awesome how much more I would say it's normalized. We see it a lot more now and it's just, uh, we know we all, the fact that we all know what it is is awesome. Like yes. we, it's mm-hmm. not a secret or anything like that. And 
I, the first time, actually, the, I was actually in the Gay Straight Alliance Club in, in high school, and mm. I was I was Mormon growing up. And um, oh gosh, having like any like uh, you know any references to that like around my church people, it was like, so do you just like wear rainbow stuff to all the time? And I'm like, nope, that's not how it works. But you know, you know, seeing the the, the gay flags flying in so many different uh, businesses in Laramie um, in support of of Pride Month that um, you know it's it, it, it's a constant reminder to me not to think of 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 a certain state or a certain type of people as as thinking one way or the other. Like you know that like the fact that this surprised me mm-hmm. in such a delightful way was was like really meaningful and it kind of goes right back to like what we were talking about of like the whole reason to have a flag to feel prideful, you know, it's like seeing that in, in such an unusual place, I wasn't expecting it, you know, gave me such a great feeling of like, wow, like how far we've come that, you know, that 50 years after Stonewall and after all the things that happened before it, you know, that, that, that we can fly a pride flag in a, in the middle of a, of a very conservative city and a very conservative state um, that, you know, and, and it's, and it's okay. It's not politicized. It's not, you know, Republicans versus Democrats or any of this stuff, like it actually has a, a bigger meaning of like, maybe it's time to get over this. You know, you can only hope and just keep working together. And you see so many colleges and you see so many local communities and you see so many organizations that really grasp onto this idea in a way that we really haven't seen before. I mean, I know even the company that Kara works for, Tailgate Guys, they're um, owners Teal Capital, um, when they bought out Tailgate Guys, they sent out these community um, newsletters to everyone in the company saying, hey, we're going to discuss these racial injustices. We're going to discuss equality. We're going to discuss gay rights. And you see that more and more nowadays where, you know, people are hopping on the bandwagon and rightfully so. And, you know, granted, like I said, it took, you know, 50 years for that police officer to apologize but, you know, look where we're at now with everybody. And I think as we continue to move forward with that, it is so important to remember that there have been so many people who paved the way um, for these conversations to happen, but there is still so much more to do. Like we've talked about, there's still mm-hmm. mo- so much more to do in terms of helping people feel accepted, helping them be safe, um, you know, letting people have, we may have laws that prevent you from firing someone for being gay, but we also have laws that allow employees to fire people for whatever. So maybe Mm -hmm. you're not, you didn't get fired because you were gay, but you got fired because you didn't put the rug back in place. There's still a lot of ways that there's there's so much discrimination out there. So Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not over yet. And, um, Got to keep fighting the good fight. All right. And that will do it for Queer as History Part 2. Curtis, can you tell us a little bit about what we're going into in the next episode, the third part of Queer as History? Yeah, it's going to be probably the most exciting episode of of our three-part um, Queer as History uh, series. It's, it's where we take everything that we know about, everything that led up to uh, to Stonewall, to the, to the riots, um, and, and we're going to expand it from that point onward to modern day. Of you know uh, of of basically the origin of pride, how it became the pride movement that we know of uh, now. Uh, it's going to be uh, really interesting. We're going to talk about the court cases that mm-hmm. that have been pivotal um, in the Supreme Court for uh, queer rights ever since then, um, and uh, and and kind of how that 
changed society and 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 eventually nudged the uh, American public to to start supporting queer rights. Mm-hmm. Along with that, we're going to be talking about some of the notable figures in queer rights history that really led the charge into equal rights for the queer community. Uh, but with that being said, uh, I don't think there's anything more to add. Kara, do you want anything to add at the end of this? No, we're just had to talk about the history that you didn't learn in school that you should have. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. All right, folks, stick around for the next episode. We're going to cover some super fun court cases and some people that made this happen. So we'll talk to you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Social Discord, part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening.